Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, church, we made it. It has been five weeks of some very serious questions about God, life, the Bible, and faith. Pastor Terry, thank you for your courage and standing under fire and being willing to answer those questions for us. And, you know, I, I think you may have saved the most difficult ones for last. Yeah, today is going to be a very interesting day. There's been a lot of prayer and a lot of thought into today. But first, I want to say thank you if you're visiting with us today over the course of the last five weeks. Um, we have done this series uh, called You Asked For It. And, and what we've done is we asked the body uh, for the last two months, really two or three months, to submit questions. And I want to give a shout out to our church because I've done this probably two other times and the questions that we received were, you know, few and far between. But this one, this series, we got so many amazing questions that really challenged us with regards to, all right, how do we answer these in a very short amount of time like today? Today, there's some pretty deep questions that we're going to attempt our best. And I would just ask for grace because it's really hard to unpack some of these issues in a really finite amount of time. But thank you. And I'm excited for today as we enter into this discussion. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, as with many of the questions that we've had this month, there, there's a serious felt need. And so um, thank you for your grace and, and your prayers as we attempt to do this. So let's just go ahead and get after it. You teased this for us last week, Pastor Terry. Uh, we know that we are <clears throat> a people of forgiveness. Jesus told us how many times we are to forgive. God's character is to always have mercy. However, there are times where... We are the recipients of some very difficult circumstances, and there is no apparent responsibility on the other side. There's no repentance. There's no even acknowledgement of guilt. Can you please help us process what does forgiveness look like in in the wake of that where I want to forgive, but you could care less that you're causing me any pain? Right. That's hard, isn't it? Um, the concept of forgiveness, when we, when we look at it, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, the concept of the word forgiveness is not difficult. I think, I think all of us understand that it's important to forgive. That's not an argument. Um, where it gets difficult is, is that, as David said, when the other individual or the other party, um, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's um, an uncle, maybe it's a friend or a coworker, it's when they maybe do something and then they may apologize for it, but then they repeat, repeat the same behavior. Or they just continue to go after you, and you're wrestling with, well, wait a minute, my faith tells me that I am to forgive. We, and many of us, in, including non-Christians, will quote out of context the passage of Scripture where Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And so it leads us to believe, as followers of Jesus, that, that what we're supposed to do is, no, no, it doesn't matter what they do, my responsibility is to forgive and just continue to subject myself to the same abuse. That's actually not biblical. And so we're going to unpack this, and the best way to do it is is to really go to what Jesus has to say. So let's take a look at, um, this is one of the Gospels. This is Luke chapter 6, verse 37. And and let's begin to read this, and we'll unpack it for you. Jesus said, um, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be 
condemn. And I love this, and, and here's a, a tip for Bible study students in the room, is when you're reading Scripture, um, don't lose fact at a change of cadence, okay? Because if you notice, Jesus is saying, don't do this, don't do this, and then the next words out of his mouth is, he says, but I want you to do this, which basically ties that entire string together. Um, and, and it's almost as if Jesus is giving us a warning as Christians. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven. And so, well, Terry, what do you mean by that? Here's, here's what I think it means. Isn't it true, David, that, um, and I know this in my life, when somebody maybe wrongs me on a consistent basis, my tendency maybe the first time is to be able to say, all right, Lord, I need to pray for them, and I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to forgive them and pray for them. But then they do it again and do it again and do it again, and then something happens inside of us, doesn't it? We get angry. We get mad. And all of a sudden, we just, you know, we understand that we're Christians, and we know that the word forgive is there, but inside, the truth is, is we're praying, but we're praying the things we shouldn't probably pray. Right, right. And and I I hear you on that, and so I think that leads us right to our quandary. And and looking at the Old Testament and looking at the New Testament, there seems to be no support for God ever offering forgiveness to someone who doesn't first repent and ask for forgiveness. So right. where does that leave you and I? Right. And, and, I, and it's funny, when we get in there and we get another individual that, that maybe does something, you know, we, we say things that, you know, like it's like, you know, smite him, almighty smiter. You know, like just, you know, Lord, I'll tell you what, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray you take him out. Okay. I don't know what you all were thinking. I was saying out of the city, you know, out of the neighborhood. I mean, where were you guys going with this? But anyway, you know, we pray things. So getting back to that, David, it's, it's as if Jesus says, all right, do not judge and you'll be judged. Jesus is saying, Terry, I know what you're going to do. He's, he's making you upset. And so here's what you're doing. Right now you're judging them. God, I don't like him. God, he is evil. He is nasty. He is, and we forget he was created in the image of God. Now he's not acting like it. But he was created in the image of God. And so, Terry, the tendency is for you to condemn. The tendency is for you to judge. And so I'm going to warn you not to do it. Instead, what I want you to do is forgive. And, David, you bring up a great point. You say, but, you know, in the Old Testament, um, it really doesn't speak. If they don't seek that forgiveness or if they don't, if they don't maybe necessarily repent or, or make restitution, that it's not our responsibility to forgive. And, and I would say there's a both end to this statement. When you think of the word forgive as a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to do. Here's the practical teaching. I think we need to think of ourselves primarily. The, the mistake we make is in forgiveness, we always go to the other person. We always think of, okay, I need to forgive that person. No, the truth is you need to forgive because it's better for your soul. It frees you. Because the truth is, is what right do I not have to forgive since Jesus forgave me? And so internally, as a follower of Jesus, because of what Jesus did for me, I should be willing, under the worst of circumstances, I should be willing to offer forgiveness. So God, I want to have a forgiving heart. But to David's point, here's what Jesus also teaches with regards to what happens to the other person. Did you know this, that um, in biblical times, there was a place called Samaria. And in Samaria, it, it was an area where there were Jewish people that had intermarried with other cultures. That was a big no-no to God. And so the Jewish people actually looked at those people as worse than tax collectors, okay? And if you don't know what tax collectors were worth like, it was bad. So 
In fact, there was, there was a custom that when you were a Jewish person, if you actually walked through parts of Samaria and you came to the other side, it, before you left Samaria, you would take your sandals off and you would shake the dust off your sandals because of the ground that you were just walking on. So it was kind of like stiff-arming it. Well, Jesus actually used that illustration one time when talking about when someone rejects me or the good news and they don't want to hear it, but you've done it with an amazing heart and you've offered it to them, well, then you can go ahead and shake the dust off your sandals and release them to God. You can say, I've done what I need to do. And I think for us, the important part is, is that with forgiveness, we look at us primarily, and then we realize, and this is where it gets good, so lean in for a second. We realize someone that behaves in an inappropriate manner, what they're doing is they're changing the aspect of your relationship. Last week, I said rules make relationships. My spouse is my spouse because we follow rules. I don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and I will do this and this and this. That makes us married. Rules dictate relationships. When someone, a friend, abuses you over and over again, it doesn't mean that you continue to be their friend. What it means is they've done something, and because they've broken the rules, they changed the aspect of your relationship. And so with that being said, I'm going to make this statement, and feel free to take a picture of it or write it down. Forgiveness speaks to past reconciliation, not future consideration. Forgiveness speaks to past reconciliation, not future consideration, which basically means my responsibility is whatever has happened God, for my own sanity, I'm going to forgive the individual and I'm going to pray for them. But in the future, I'm not going to be a fool. I'm not going to allow this individual to continue to abuse me or to harm me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a boundary around that relationship. They have decided to change the relationship. Therefore, our relationship has changed forever. Yeah. And so with that, some of you might say, well, Terry, I don't know. That, that seems harsh. I love going into scripture and reading wisdom and in Proverbs, it offers a lot of wisdom. Take a look at what Proverbs 17, nine says about this issue. It says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. And so you see right there, you see the wisdom in is that the offender is going to change the aspect of the relationship and that's okay. So I wanna give you a freedom. We need to forgive. But we don't need to be foolish. And in the future, you need to reset the rules around your relationships. Yeah, I think one of the things we struggle with is there is something innate in us as human beings. It's even in our legal system, which is there is a desire for the scales to be evened. You know, if someone's in prison, we say they have to pay their debt to society because if you've offended me, you've taken something from me. And so I think that's where we struggle with as human beings yeah. and not being willing to forgive. One, they show no remorse. Right. And, and we're like, well, but I need justice. Yeah. But, but God is a God of justice. He is a God of justice. And while there is on earth um, a desire for justice, and rightfully so, at the end of the day, there are things, injustices that have been done to us that are not going to be righted here on this earth. But thank God, because of what Jesus Christ did for me, that I will spend eternity with him. And so, in essence, he leveled the scales. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's good. Okay, let's pivot. Okay. So we've been establishing over the last couple of weeks, the Bible is trustworthy, the Bible is relevant today. And though we are a new covenant people, the, the means of atonement has changed, 
the New Old Testament is still relevant for you and I today. But tithing really seems to be locked and loaded into that Old Testament mm -hmm. under that old version of atonement. Uh, what does tithing look like for you and I today under the New Covenant? That's good. And this was a great question. We decided to answer this. If you're, if you're, if you're a visitor, I know what you're saying. Oh, that's all they ever talk about. I, I get it. I get it. Um, but if, if you've been a part of our church, you know our natural rhythm. Every October, we're going to teach on tithing. And we do this on purpose because um, it, when you become a Christian, you understand that tithing is not something that is to burden us. Tithing is really a blessing to us. And you learn that as you grow in Christ. And so I'm not here today to be able to talk about money, okay? That somebody asked a question, and, it, and they asked it in a light, David, as you presented it, is I keep hearing Christians say things about tithing as if it's not relevant or it's Old Testament. So do I need to continue to tithe? I think that's a great question, um, and it's important. And so one of my, my favorite prophets, the prophet Malachi, um, a great, great Italian prophet of the Bible. You know this, right, Malachi? Um, some I'm people sorry. call him Malachi. So uh, Malachi, that was a joke. You can, uh, anyway, long story. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, actually gives us the framework of why we tithe. But it is Old Testament, David, to your point. So let me just, for informational purpose, why do we tithe? Let me bring this out. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes. Tithe is, in the original language, tenth. So bring the tithe, the tenth, into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's army. So right off the bat, you see a couple of things that I want to bring notice. God basically says, look, in all the things, you can't test me, but in this you can. I know this is going to be humanity's hardest thing to do, is to trust God with everything, with not only with your heart, with your mind, your soul, but to trust them with your wallet. And so in essence, he says, but if you do, here's what I promise you, that I will open the floodgates of heaven, that I will bless you abundantly. And, and I will tell you that God owns it all anyway, David, and we learn this as Christians. Right. It's all his anyway. And when we learn that and when we open our hands and we allow God to be able to use us to be able to bless others, um, you can never outgive God. I've learned that. And the more beneficial of a heart we have, the more God pours his blessings on. Um, and again, it's not prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you to tithe so that you get more because the truth is, is I've already received more than I could ever imagine. And yeah. I've received eternal life. I don't need any more. But this is a way where we can tangibly say, God used me to bless others. So that's one. However, that's Old Testament. And so some people would say, it's Old Testament. I no longer have to do it. Actually, I'm going to show you New Testament. And some of you are like already, well, you could go ahead and find a scripture in the New Testament that really doesn't make much of a difference. I'm actually going to bring you to Jesus. Because actually, Jesus actually speaks to tithing. And I love the way that he does. So let me set it up before we read it. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. Remember, Jesus wanted to show the compassion and heart of God to his people, and he wanted to combat the religious leaders because the religious leaders were doing a really poor job of representing who God is. They were all laws, but they didn't even follow him in their heart. They, they cheated the people. They did so many wrong things that the people were starting to be disenfranchised by God, and God knew it. So Jesus comes, and he is speaking against the religious leaders, so much so that he would get into it with them. And that's why I love Jesus, because he, did, he didn't pull any punches. 
religious. So he's going to go after the religious leaders about the fact that they, will, they love following rules, but their hearts are so far from them. So take a look at what he says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth. You tithe your spices, mint, dill, and cumin like you should, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the tithe, the latter, but you should have done that without neglecting the former. And so you see Jesus saying to us in the New Testament, do not neglect the tithe. And what I would say, because some individuals, uh, David, would say, well, Terry, you know, back in the Old Testament, they would bring the tithe, their resources, to the temple. So where, where are you supposed to give the tithe? And I, and I hear this misrepresented a lot. I even hear pastors misrepresent this. And what I would say to you is this, is that in the Old Testament, it was about God's relationship with his people. And what is the temple? God in, in the holy place would come down, and that was relationship with the people. That was the picture. The New Testament... Jesus Christ came in and he died and the Holy Spirit is now within his people relationship and we now are the church. And so the new covenant is and the new story is all about God's church. So the tithe is brought to the temple to continue to do works of the Lord among the people and the tithe in the New Testament is brought to the church to continue to do the works for the people, to be able to take care of people, to encourage people, to help people, and to foster God's good news. So in the New Testament, we are to tithe, and we are to bring that tithe to the church. Yeah, I, I think when you don't understand the tithe, you're missing such an important opportunity. You started with this, Terry. You said that the tithe is, is there for me to grow my trust muscle in God. And so then when I hit those big storms in life, yeah. They, may, they may not be financial. They may be emotional. Yeah. They may be physical. My trust has already been valid, validated through God because he has shown up time and time again. And this is generational. I mean, one of the reasons I tithe, it's, it's not even biblical, it's because I saw it modeled That's right. by my grandparents and my parents, and now it's my turn to model it to my kids. That's right. It's a testimony to who God is right. in my life. And two other things I would say based on that, I, I, I would want to encourage everyone in this room. This is for individuals, if you're struggling with the tithe, and, and, you're, and, and this message is not to bring a, a status of guilt upon you. That is not what this is about. What this is about is, is to be able to bring information, to be able to say, you know what, um, God will bless those that trust him in this. Yeah. And if you're struggling in that, then all I would challenge you with is, is what is one step that you could take today? What is one step? One tiny thing that you could do to begin moving toward exactly what God wants. And I would challenge you to that. I would challenge those of you that are active tithers. What is one step that you can do? Because, you know, David, what we learn as givers is, is yes, we are to give the tithe, but that's not all we're required right. to do. Um, there, is a, there is something else, and you might hear it. There are tithes and offerings. And what I would say is my wife and I, we sponsor two children, and we sponsor those children every month. That is not my tithe. I do not give my tithe to a sponsored child. 
I give my tithe to the church, which is required by me. However, my offering is, is that my wife and I prayed and we decided to financially support two children to make sure that they have a better life. That is an example of an offering. A nonprofit organization in the area, if you see someone like a, a Christian organization or something that do, does something that's passionate to you, you can give an offering to that organization if God calls you. So there are ties and there are, or, there are offerings. And all I think God wants us to do is wherever we're at right now is to take one step. Turn that dial, that up dial between us and him and show God, God, I'm going to take a step towards you and I'm going to trust you. I'll, I'll say one last thing and I'll be quiet. I, I believe so wholeheartedly in this church that if you're someone that has not tithed and you're struggling, I would say take the next month, tithe. And at the end of the month, if you don't sense, see, or notice God's blessing on your life, Call the office. There will be no judgment on our part. Call the office and we will give you back your tithe. We will do that because we trust in God's word. So I yeah. just wanted to be able to share that as you well. You can't outgive God. You can't. No, you can't. Amen. They're clapping on a tithe message. That's amazing. <laughs> all right, Terry, this is the one. This oh, is the question I think gosh. most of us have been waiting all <sighs> month for. Um, and this one, this one comes with it's a very emotionally charged question. It is. Um, much like cancer, the stats would show that most of us have been touched by this at some point. Yeah. So could you do us a favor and could you just attend to what does the Bible say, what does Jesus say about divorce? This is um, a tough one. And I know as David even puts this question up, why are we addressing this? Um, I would say this question was brought up several times in the last few weeks. And um, first thing I would say is, I would ask for you to give grace to Pastor David and I for this reason. It's very difficult to unpack such a heavy subject in 10 minutes, okay? So um, we're going to stick our foot in our mouth some way, somehow, because it's not easy to talk this fast and to be able to get the heartbeat of this. So give us some grace. But the reason why um, I'm answering it is, is because when you study God's Word and you read through the New Testament, you come across the passage of Scripture that I'm going to share with you and for many Christians, um, especially um, who have been touched by divorce, um, it has really caused them great heartache. And, and I, I would say two things to you. There is God's truth, and we're going to speak to God's truth. But there also is God's grace, his forgiveness in life that we also are going to speak to. Um, and, you know, David, you mentioned people touched by it. The truth is, in this room, watching online on the balcony, um, over 50% of this room, in some sort of fashion, your family, whether it's immediate or whether it's extended, has been touched by divorce. Yeah. Um, it, it is something that is a part of our culture and, and our life. Um, I would say, I, I think in the last 50 years, the stat is the last 50 years, divorce has grown seven, over 700%. Um, and so when you say this, Terry, what would you say? So with that platform being levied, let me give some information and just hang with me and let me get everything out, okay? Does God hate divorce? Yes, he does. But I think everyone in this room and in the balcony watching online hates divorce. Even if you've been divorced, you hate divorce. Because if you've been through divorce, you know the pain, you know the suffering. Whether you are the person that was the offending party, whether it was both of you, or whether you're the one that was blindsided, the pain of divorce is awful. 
It extends far more than anyone financially it extends. It extends to our kids. It extends to generations. It extends to aunts and uncles. It extends to nieces, nephews, grandchildren. Divorce, the the tangle webs of divorce are rapid. And so every one of us doesn't disagree with God when we say we hate divorce. Because divorce is what? I think it's the Latin word divortium. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But it means to separate. And that word separate is tearing. When two individuals get married, it's a picture, it's a word picture, and the picture is two individuals becoming one. It's as if their flesh is together, and that was the picture. And when divorce happens, it's not just that they separate, it's a tearing. That's the word picture. It's it's a pulling apart, and it's a tearing that causes consequences that human beings have to live within, and we all know this. And so with that being said, God does hate divorce, But the problem is, is the church and individuals, sometimes we mistake in God hating divorce for God hating me or God hating the person who was divorced. That is not the character of God. God sent his son to die for you. He does not hate you. He loves you. He does not condemn you. We just read where it says, do not condemn for you will be condemned. So God doesn't condemn you because of that sin. Some of us in this room, we feel that. Why? Some of you have grown up in a church where you got divorced and you were ostracized. You were put a letter, a scarlet letter on your chest and everybody avoided you and they looked at you like you had the plague. If that was you, I want to apologize on behalf of the church. Because as a church, it is never our right to judge anyone. Your sin is no different than anybody else's sin. So far be it from anybody in a church to look at someone that is struggling with divorce and to label them or or judge them. And do you know that this passage I'm going to show you, I'm going to stop it in, in, in a specific place because Jesus actually speaks to this. So let's read Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 31. Jesus says this, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. Now stop there for a second. I'll read the rest. What Jesus was saying, do you remember what I told you about a couple of questions ago, David? I said, you can't take things out of context. Read it all together. So Jesus says, I heard it's been said that you give him a certificate of divorce. But I tell you this, that beyond just giving her a certificate, if you do this, you've labeled her. Well, why did Jesus say this? He said this because you have to understand history. Do you know in the Old Testament with divorce that in the Old Testament, women did not have a right to divorce their husbands. Men were the only one who had the right to divorce their spouse. And what would happen is, is the men, they would get tired of their spouse and they would maybe have some children and they would say, "Mm, I'm gonna move on. And they would take their, their wife, they would divorce them and that was a sentence of death for many women because they had no rights, and they would be left to fend for themselves. And if without their family, right. if the family would take them in and support them, they would survive. But without their family, they usually would perish. And so guys were giving divorce certificates out like chiclets. And if you don't know what a chiclet is, ask someone over the age of 30, and they'll tell you. But they were handing certificates out and just, oh, I'm tired, I'm tired, divorce, 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 divorce. And so Jesus was saying, notice what he was doing. He was saying, hey, Do you understand the gravity of this? Do you understand it's people's lives that divorce has consequences? 
And so you need to stop. You're labeling this person and really condemning this person, so stop it. But then he continues, and this is where it gets money. He said, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. And so that's when all of a sudden, for those in this room, they're like, oh, wait a minute, I've been divorced. What does that mean? What you have to understand is that Jesus was also speaking to an individual and challenging them to say, and to the females, look, divorce is not just a, all right, I got freedom now. You know what? I don't like this husband, and so I'm free now. I'm going to go ahead and exchange this person for another. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was basically saying God hates divorce, and that's true. But he was also saying this, is we in our culture, you all are taking this with a grain of salt. You are treating it as something that is just culturally and relatively acceptable. No. Marriage is something that is sacred, and marriage is something that before you get to divorce, you need to really understand the consequences within them. Now, I want to tell you this with regards to it. When we talk about marriage and consequences and what does God expect, I think of three R's, and I want to give you these, okay? The first thing is, David, I think anytime we think of marriage and struggling marriage, God is a God of restoration. And so if you're in the room right now and you're still married and you're struggling and you're thinking of divorce, if you came to Pastor David or myself and you came for marriage counseling, unapologetically, Pastor David and I, we're going to fight for your marriage. Yeah. We are going to fight for your marriage. And so just know that when you come in, we're going to sit there and we're going to say, hey, divorce needs to be the last thing that is done, okay? There are about 17 other steps that we want you to go through before you consider this. Um, so we're going to try and get you to walk through this. However, some of you in this room right now, you're already getting angry at me because you're like, see, but you don't know, Terry, what I'm living with. You don't know the pain that I'm living with. You don't know how he's treating me or she's treating me. You don't understand. And, and I want to say this. That's why God gives allowances for divorce. So I want to give you the allowances for divorce. In fact, guys, can we jump to that really quick? The allowances for divorce are two. One is unfaithfulness and the other is desertion. Okay, and I'm, let me unpack both. Unfaithfulness is the really easy black and white one. If your spouse has been unfaithful to you, infidelity, then you have a right to divorce. You, because God knew that once that tearing happens, it is really, really difficult to maintain a trust and to rebuild. Not impossible. And beautiful marriages who learn to forgive one another and learn to come back together and restorative, restoration. God's about restoration. So I would say not impossible, but God allows for divorce. The second one is muddy. The second one is known as desertion. It's really easy in the original biblical context. Right. Because desertion was desertion. It was, okay, now watch this. Watch how this finger, the fingerlings that come with it. Uh, I was going to say finger lakes. I was going there. You were, David was looking at me like, where are you going with this? Finger lakes, Midwest, you'd understand. Anyway, moving forward. So in this, when somebody in the Old Testament deserted their spouse, they didn't just desert them physically. They deserted them financially. Yeah. They also, if you were a woman and you desired to have a child and you had no child and your husband divorced you before you could have a child, it left you without a legacy. Yeah. That was also a part of a desertion in that process. Let me say one thing very clear. Physical abuse is absolutely a desertion of your marriage vows. And if you are living in a marriage where one of the other individuals puts their hands on you, you need to get out of the house. I'm not saying you divorce immediately, but you need to get out of the house. 
And physical abuse is not acceptable in a marriage at all. It is grounds for divorce, and it is desertion, and you need to have that, and you need to understand that. One of the other things that is acceptable within desertion is a level of emotional abuse. And the reason why I say is it's a level is because many individuals over the years have come in for counseling, and they'll say, what about verbal abuse? And I would typically look at them and say, well, it's really difficult for a pastor to be able to degree what divorce is acceptable and not. And so you won't get Pastor David and I to be able to give a certificate of divorce away. What we're going to say to you is, is really, that is between you and the Lord. We're not in your home. We don't know the level of the emotional abuse, so it's very difficult for us to say it's okay. That really is between you looking in the mirror, looking at God and saying, God, you know my heart. You know I've tried everything. You know what he says or she says to me every single day. This is not marriage. This is not what you would want. And I feel a peace in my heart to know that this falls under he's abandoned his marriage or she's abandoned her marriage vows. That really is between you and the Lord. And the reason why is, I love it, is in counseling, um, I've had an individual come and they display to me some of the worst emotional abuse that I could ever imagine. And, and it's really easy to be able to understand, okay, they've ab abandoned their marriage vows. But then I've had someone that very young who gets married and six weeks later comes and says, we had our first fight and I want to divorce him. And I look at him and go, you want to come over to my house and you want to witness a fight? Grab your popcorn, come on over. Because marriage is hard work. Marriage takes commitment. Marriage is difficult. You are going to rub one another the wrong way from time. And, and, and that's where that work, that's where that commitment comes in. And so I would say, under desertion, there is a lot of aspects that are there, but unfaithfulness, desertion, and there's a lot that goes under, those are the allowances for divorce. This is such a great illustration of why you keep giving us the importance of context. Because I think if you read that verse in Matthew out of context, we feel like Jesus is calling every divorcee an adulterer, right. and that's not what he was saying there. Right. He was saying, understand the ramifications of your choices right. in this context, in this culture. Right. That is what you're making them out to be. Right. And that is a very different way of reading the gospel yep. than how we have just worked. I had a friend of mine this morning, and you don't know this, but um, I had a friend of mine send me uh, an article this morning, and, I, and it was brilliant. And, and what I would say to you is if you're in this room and you've been divorced, and, and you need to know this, um, my heart and David's heart is when we unpack this is we didn't want to bring pain to anybody and we know that it's painful and so I want to speak to you directly and I, I want to say this um, even if you, you had rem the reason for it, and even maybe you're sitting in the room saying you know what I didn't have a reason for it and I got divorced and it probably wasn't the right decision but I made it and God is God mad at me is God angry I, I want to say this um, God loves you and God's grace and his forgiveness um, they're valid. He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. He forgives us. There's grace. There is restoration. There is repentance. There is um, restitution. And those are things that we should look into, and those are things, if we wrong someone, we should look to right it somehow, some way. But he sent this article to me, Dave, said, you know, if you're feeling guilty, I want you to think on this. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he once was named Saul, and he once murdered Christians. And when Saul, Paul, entered heaven, greeting him at heaven's gate, cheering him as he crossed into eternity, were several individuals that he murdered. They welcomed Paul, and they celebrated him. And the point of the matter is, 
is if Saul, who murdered Christians, could be forgiven and could enter into the heavens and be cheered. If you live with the stain of divorce and you just think that God doesn't love you or you think that the church could never accept you, that is just a lie from the devil himself. And you need to understand that God's grace and forgiveness is abundant, abundant. However, his truth is still his truth. And so last thing I would say is if you are here and you're struggling in your marriage or struggling with the thought of divorce, what I would beg of you is to get counsel. Come to the church, go to professional counseling, call a trusted advisor, parent, friend. Get advice way back here. Don't wait until you're ready to pull the trigger on divorce because if you do, it's like what Jesus said. It's like, wait a second. You didn't ask for any advice. You didn't try to put anything into practice and you're sitting here at the end and you're ready to get divorced. Don't do it. Just wait. And I wish we, we wouldn't wait to crisis before we looked for help. No, that's good. That's good. You know, this month, uh, we've really been challenged by a lot of these questions and maybe the answers as well. Can I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe and rewatch these? Because what I love about what Pastor Terry has led us through is that most of these questions, they don't exist in a vacuum. They're actually all interrelated, and you'll see how one question supports the answer to this question, which also supports the answer to this question. But Wherever you find yourself today, if you are in need, as Pastor Terry said, please let us know. We would love to partner with you and help you in whatever next steps you need to take. But uh, Terry, again, thank you for being brave enough to step into these murky waters with us. Uh, would you pray for us as we close? I'd be more happy. Would you pray with me? Father, um, Lord, you know that this morning and last all last night um, I was in prayer over these talks because it is really difficult to unpack your truth in a short amount of time, especially when it speaks to such difficult topics. God, I pray that as finite as Pastor David and I are and the words in which we spoke, I pray, God, that if we misspoke, I pray that you would take it. And I pray that this room watching online, I pray that they would have heard your voice your heart, because that's our desire. I pray for the individuals in this room, God, whether it be struggling with forgiveness, whether it be struggling with trusting you with the tithe, or as we just talked about, struggling with divorce. God, the one thing I would say is, is a questioning faith is a growing faith. And so, Lord, my heart would be for all of us in this room that are wrestling, that we would be okay with wrestling with you, that we wouldn't run from you, but that we would run to you. And so, God, if we're looking at you and maybe we've been angry at you because we feel as if you're judging us or feel as if you hate us because we've made a mistake, God, may we wrestle with you and may we sense your Holy Spirit and your peace in wrestling with you. But, God, at the end of the day, may we be a church of messy people that have all made mistakes and have all sinned. And may we have a heart of forgiveness, a heart of grace, a heart of wanting truth repentance and restitution to be a part of the heartbeat of what we do and what we say. And so God, I thank you so much for these difficult questions that the body has brought forward. I pray that they would add value and I pray that you'd receive the glory in Jesus' name.